Welcome to the Directing Animation Livecast with Scott Weiser. In my many years as an animator and director, my most defining projects have been my short film, Layers, along with Vanishing Ink and Cirque de Solitude, two books which I wrote, illustrated, and pitched at several studios as feature films. And I have more of these feature film pitches coming soon. When many people find out that I work in the animation industry, one of the first most common comments I get is, well, if you ever need voice actors, I would like to try that. I, I can understand why people say that. It's, it sounds really exciting. Animation is wonderful. And it sounds like something that you could do it. You could get into the industry really easily because everybody has a voice. However, voice acting isn't as easy as it's cracked up to be. And that's why I have guest Stephen Weiss on today. He is CEO over Marvelous Spiral Studios, which provides voiceover services for film, games, television, ADR, dubbing, etc. <laughs> he is a uh, has 20 years experience in academics and teaching. His his roster in his studio is about 70 voice actors. So I'm really excited to have him on and, and discuss the art of recording voices for an animated film. Welcome, Stephen. Is there anything hey. you'd like to add to the- Hey, yeah, well, thanks for letting uh, come on and talk with you. Uh, yeah. I really want to talk a little bit about how, I, how it all started because I think that some people Probably, you know, one of the most common questions I get, well, how do I, how do I become a voice actor? It's like, yeah, exactly. well, <laughs> you know, so one of the big things I did is, of course, I moved to Los Angeles, I think it's 14 years ago now. It really helps to be somewhere like that. Now, it's a little different with remote studios and COVID kind of changed things a bit. But mm-hmm. still, really, most of the opportunities are in the, you know, L.A. or maybe New York. But uh, I got my first break to be in an anime called Helsing Ultimate, which is a vampire anime. And I got to do a bunch of what's called incidentals. Uh, Incidentals are characters with like, you know, a few lines, like three lines or two lines, or you're making sounds like uh, Helsing is a violent vampire anime where lots of people die. So myself and the director, Talis and Jaffe, uh, were in the studio and my friend Jason Charles Miller, we took turns being all the people that got horribly killed. Uh, yeah, because someone basically in this episode, someone sent a SWAT team after the the vampire, and of course, <laughs> the SWAT team is horrifically massacred. And uh, so we're just all these SWAT team guys getting killed in different ways, you know. So you can get it, and incidentals are almost like it's it's only being an extra in voiceover, right? It's you have a few lines or sounds, but that's it. There's also something called Walla. We can get into that, but anyway. So I started out in anime, and then uh, after a while. I saw that it's pretty hard to get in just as a voice actor. So I started learning other skills where I was, okay, I'm, I learned screenwriting. Okay. Mm. I learned to do production. In 2013, I ended up getting in contact with the very first kickstarted anime. Oh. And it, yeah, it's called Kickheart. It was made by Production IG. And okay. somebody suggested, hey, they should have a stretch goal for English dub because it was originally just going to be Japanese. So mm. I contacted them and I said, hey, I know these big voice actors like uh, Richard Epcar, a friend of mine. And he, I said, he can direct it and we can do this. And so that was when I first dipped my toe into production, getting everything set up for dubbing this anime. Then after that, I realized, hey, wait, I could probably do this in a more formal way. And so I started setting up the company. You know, I've done... Uh, video games and animation, and I did. I've done children's shows. One that was fun to dub is actually uh, you used in your promo picture, the Diary of Beta and Cora. It mm-hmm. was a stop motion animation done in Spain, so we dubbed it into English, and it was really interesting to hear the difference in Spanish. I'm used to hearing sort of the Mexican variety 
of Spanish. But uh, (laughs) right now it was like, oh, this is Spanish, Spanish or Spain. Yeah, it's different. Yeah, very different. Uh, But so we dubbed that. And, and, you know, what we do now is I moved my company to the East Coast. I moved it to North Carolina. And the idea is, is I've got a local roster of actors, as you mentioned, and I've trained them for uh, video games and animation. But we're able to, because real estate and everything is so much less expensive here, uh, Mm -hmm. we're able to basically offer the same product, but at like 60 to 70% of the cost of L.A., yeah, uh, and so that's my brainchild to try to get this off the ground. And so we've just we're on our second video game now, and we've got uh, a commercial. We're doing some tech commercials also, but we're trying to to get uh you know just get more clients and stuff. But you know, since I have the like over a decade of LA experience, they're still going to get the same thing. I've just moved to a different location. Right. Yeah, that's very similar to me. I live in Utah and right now, but I've worked right. in the in animation industry in LA and in Vancouver. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and it's interesting, we also have the Kickstarter tie. I knew about that project, but I didn't realize that's your start. And Kickstarter, you know, it really has kickstarted a lot of different things. Your career, my career as a director. That's wonderful. That's wonderful that that's how that started. So how do you find your voice actors? What's what's your process for that? Well, uh, <laughs> you don't have to give us your se- your secrets, but... Uh... <laughs> sure, yeah. It's if you if you if you talk to a lot of voice actors that are especially you know I kind of come the people I networked with and was around most in LA were the anime people, mm-hmm. right? And so if you go and they tell their story all the time, a lot of times they fell into it. Like people like Steve Bloom and stuff like that, and Richard mm-hmm. Epcar, they started off as film actors, mm-hmm. and they ended up just seeing this audition or something like that, and it turns out they were just really good at it. Right. Okay. So that helped for some people. And yeah. then some people, they actually got in there's, uh, you know, at Anime Expo. And now I think there other conventions, they have something called Anime Idol, where they'll have an <laughs> open competition yeah, for people to do. And uh, sometimes the winners will go on like the winners usually get something. They get to do one anime, but usually the maybe 30, 30 percent, maybe a third of the those winners will go on to really have a career in it. So even then, if you just winning that isn't even enough always yeah. uh, to really do it, you know, it's really random. But with the experience that I have, what I know is if I hear it, then I know it. <laughs> yes. Right. Yeah. And yeah. I so what I did is I put out I went to the local actors groups and Facebook is such an amazing tool for this. Right. There's. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm part of the filmmaker that I'm in Asheville. So I'm part of the Asheville filmmakers group. I'm part of the Asheville actors group, you know, mm-hmm. models group, just anywhere there's talent. So I put out calls for that. And also some great friends of mine that I know in voiceover, Trish Bassani, she's in New Jersey and she hooked me up. She says, there's a ton of voice actors in Asheville already. And so she connected me with them. So I already had like a good five or six that were really talented. And I asked them, who else do you know? So I did an open audition or a general audition. It's sort of mm-hmm. called. Yeah. So I actually did one for Disney. You know, they bring you in and you just read a bunch of characters and they see what, you know, and then they save you kind of in a file. Right. So I, so I was excited when I went into Disney and then like COVID happened right after that. So I was like, right. well, I don't know what's going to happen now. So I just listened to, I don't know. At first I had like 80 submissions mm-hmm. from local actors and recommendations. And then about 50 of them, I went through and I graded them ABC, uh, right? Mm-hmm. And about 50 of them made the cut. Okay. Right? So about 30 of them did not, <laughs> right? Yeah. And uh, and then I, you know, and then I had, a, I have this A list of about a dozen that okay. I would hold them up against anyone in LA, 
right? They have the chops. So it's this weird mix of like part of it, a lot of the A-listers are people who have done a lot of work in commercials. So they have all the technical skills. Like there's, there's a whole, like when I teach voiceover, there's like a whole day or two on technical skills, like mic distance and proper vocalization techniques and dynamics and not going too loud or too soft. There's just all these things. And they already have those, right? But other actors, I can hear them and I'm like, this is the feel that I want. And then I can direct them into the rest of what I need. Right. Oh, yeah. And so after a while, and I, I don't even know if I can explain it it's because there's so much art, you know, it's part art, art, part science, but like, I'm like, oh, yeah. I, I can tell that I can direct them into what I, what I want. From yeah, I completely understand that. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And I've had that same experience. I, I, mm. We talked before this, right. And we talked about how a lot of the people that I've used um, are some of those people that have come up and said, hey, if you ever need voice actors, yes, I've used some of those people. Only a couple of those have I ever reused. And then there was one person that back in my theater days, I worked with her. And I just remember she had such a natural stage presence. And I remember her voice was beautiful. And this was a musical piece that I was pitching. And right. uh, I have a producing partner for us, So more news about that coming soon. It was interesting because the first time she sent me a recording of her singing the song, um, it was way it was way off off base, right? Yeah. But all I had to do is just kind of sing it to her how I thought it should be done. And I have a bit of confidence in my singing voice. And what she came back with was, oh, yeah, she very quickly adapted to that style. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, that's, was, that's really the best talent is, you know, people who can be directed. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And there's sort of, there's kind of, there's different types of actors. There's some types that are just really, really, really good at one kind of voice. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Right. And I'm like, okay, Mm -hmm. if I really need this, that's my person. And then there's the people that are good at a whole bunch of different things. Yeah. Different voices. and Right. Yeah. Personalities. And and that happened. We need that a lot, especially for games, because you'll get this video game with like 200 characters in it. You know, and some of them only have two or three lines. Mm -hmm. But you got to have and you can't bring somebody. You can't schedule somebody to come into studio and do three lines and leave. Yeah, you've got to get more than that. Right, so you have yeah. to, like, all these, what we call incidentals, again, you know, you've got to have yeah. somebody who can cover, like, 10 characters who have three lines or something like that, you know, because it's not cost-effective to bring them in because there's minimum budgets for yeah. these things. Like, if you yeah. come in, there's a minimum you get paid, whether you work for 10 minutes or two hours. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, I'm going to give you two hours of work then. <laughs> yeah. right? Or try. Uh, to give you. So I actually am doing right now, lately I've been doing one hour minimums for my group so we can do more cost-effective type of stuff. You know, it's tough because like you're, as a producer, you're walking the line between the client who hires you, right? They need to get a certain thing for a certain cost without it being crazy blown up. But then, you know, the actors also, you want to respect them and give them what they should get. You know, Mm -hmm. it's always a push-pull because if you push uh, things too high up in one direction, then nothing will happen, right? If you, if your prices are too high, the clients won't hire you. If your prices are too low, no actors will work for you. (laughs) Right. Right. It's it's always trying to find this middle ground. So that's why the specialists are really good. So what happens a lot of times though, is that the people who are good at really one voice, they end up getting the lead roles. And Mm. then the multi-role people end up being like eight other people in the game. Mm-hmm. So it's nice to have both of those. And there's some people, I like to think I'm one of those people who can do both, like who can do, uh, like I'm like young hero kind of 
uh, is my, I think my forte, but I also have the ability to do, to go all over the place and do crazy stuff too. So, uh, but that's what I do lately is like, if I'm, if I'm casting and I can't find someone to do something exactly the way I want, I'm like, I'm just going to do it. <laughs> that's the advantage. Me too. Me too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. I'm, I'm going to do this. I'm just going to do it right now. I'm just going to go in my home booth and just knock this out and then it'll be done. <laughs> yeah. There's a moment where in this, project I told you about where I had this old lady singing and I was just like I'm just gonna do it and it turned out <laughs> to be so good <laughs> it's like, it's like, like, it's like very Monty Python-esque you know <laughs> no no it was actually pretty good I, I would tell people that that was me and they're like really let me hear it oh, again nice. they couldn't tell so yeah it was pretty cool yeah I used to I used to do a, a Carol Channing impression when I was a little teenager because I thought oh, she was wow. the funniest she was actually, the funniest yeah, person is. in the world <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, I had, I worked at a scout camp and this, uh, this girl who heard me do that impression, she said, one day I walked into the room and I heard you on the TV. <laughs> and I guess it was Alice in Wonderland or something that she was watching. Oh, wow. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> <It's pretty funny. laughs> I can't do it that well anymore because my voice has gotten lower, but yeah, right. it's, uh, it's fun. It's lots of fun. Something we talked about on the LinkedIn post mm. was um, the, the word natural. And I liked how you put that in quotations. It, it signified to me there's something more <laughs> to yes. that word than you were actually the actual word. And so let's talk about that. Let's talk about getting the natural vocal performance. Okay. Yeah, it's yeah. sort of this elusive thing. Again, it, this whole thing is like half art, half science. So I can describe yeah. it to an extent. But then after that, it just has to be felt. Right. Yeah. And mm -hmm. so what's happening in the industry? And this is everything. This is commercials, this is video games, this is animation. They're all coming across like, you don't even, it, it's just, I don't even see them anymore because it's in every, it's almost every casting call. You know, it's so ubiquitous now. You're just like, yeah, yeah, natural voice. Blah, blah, blah. You know, like you're just so used to seeing it. It's very rare to see yeah. it, to not say that now. And uh, so they'll say stuff like not commercially, not salesman-y, mm -hmm. not over the top, not cartoony. Mm -hmm. Right. So all those kind of adjectives you get and you're like, okay, well, what do you want then? Now <laughs> it's not all these things. Then you don't yes. know what it is actually. Yes. Yeah. So they, yeah. you know, they're just, they just say like natural read or, or comfortable read, like not a, not professional voice sounding, you know, again, it's another <laughs> not. And you're like, huh? We don't want you to sound professional. Then what am I? Yeah. Right. So it's, it, yeah. this is what happens. It lives somewhere between your natural speaking voice. Now, the way I'm talking right now is probably closer to that, what they want, because yeah. I'm sort of a trained public speaker. So this is not how I would talk to my friends either. Okay. <laughs> right? okay. you know? The natural voice is not you sitting in your room talking with your friends, yeah. right? That's no, not what they need. That's boring. Well, sort of. It's not so much that it's boring. It's just that that's not what they want yeah, uh, because they this is what they think they want, right? That's what they. If you ask them a lot of times, like, yeah, we want you to sound like just like you were talking with somebody. No, it's not. They, but they think that, right? But if they heard that, they would be like, oh, that's not what we wanted either. And it's not so much that it's boring. It's just that it it lacks certain polish. Yeah. Right. So what happens is they want it to be as natural as possible, but. In the meantime, you are clearly enunciating every syllable. Right. You're keeping a good dynamic range so everything is heard. Okay. And there is this subtle conveyance 
of an emotion or a, a feeling yeah. along with the performance right. that goes in there. Mm-hmm. So it's like, it's somewhere halfway between like this sort of commercial or animation voice and your real voice. Yeah. But it has to be really like those things. It has to be really enunciated, really polished. But there's also sort of this, there's a little bit of performance to it. Yeah. It's weird. I think what people have sort of been trained for this. It's so interesting how we're, you know, I can talk about this for a long time, but you, you know it too, because, you know, working in animation, people are trained for things like cuts and fade ins and fade outs. We know what this means. We know what an establishing shot means, Mm -hmm. right? Like if you're watching a movie, they show the outside of a building and then they show people in an office. You're like, they're in that building. Yeah. But if you took somebody from like medieval times and showed him a movie, you know, once they got over their horrific terror of the magic box of Doom or whatever, right? You know, and yeah. trying to have them understand, they're like, I don't know, there was, there, they showed this building and then there was people inside a room, I, you know, and they, they might not even connect that, right? Yeah. So sort of the same thing is happening with this voiceover where people are getting used to this sort of natural yet not natural voice. Yeah. And saying, oh, that's, that's the thing, you know, and that's the sweet sauce or whatever. And Occasionally I teach voiceover. I have links in my class to these videos, you know, some commercials like the new, like uh, these new, like IBM commercials. They're just like, you need solutions. We have them for you. You know? And it's just like, it's just such a, the music's all peaceful and it just feels like you're sitting in a room with something. They're just talking to you casually, you know, but it's still really professional, but it also just feels really natural. You know, it's sort of a reaction, I think to the, the older, if you watch like cartoons from the eighties and nineties and like everything's crazy over the top and, and the commercials back then were like, order now, you know, it's just like, yeah, our brains are kind of had been tuned the, you know, older people who'd been around for that to be like, that's a commercial. I'm not listening to that. And we tune it out. Yeah. So I think now that's part of the reason they're shifting to this natural voice type thing too. But also yeah. a lot of people watching animation are adults, right? right. You know, it's really moved into adulthood. Uh, that people still watch animation and they don't want kiddie performances. They want to feel like I'm watching an adult cartoon or whatever, you know, <laughs> like just something more authentic it, or I don't know. Yeah. Right. It doesn't, it doesn't matter if you like. Yeah. Cartoons, you like- Let me draw a couple parallels though, and see what you yeah. think of them. Um, the reason I use boring is I was thinking of screenwriting, right? If you just took a slice of life, like you just took this thing that you just watched happen on the street. Most of the time that would be what I would term boring, but it's because it wouldn't, it wouldn't capture your interests enough. Another analogy I was thinking of was like photography. Like you, you could take somebody who is a newbie and somebody who's a, you know, an amazing photographer, put them next to each other and have them take nearly the same picture. And there'd be a huge difference in, in the quality of those pictures. Yeah. And both of them would be the natural picture. Right. right. But there's a level of, quality there. Another thing I was thinking is in my experience, and you, this might be wrong, but mm-hmm. one of the things that gets natural acting is just not going with the first take too. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's sometimes pushing past that first take. And like you said, directing the actor a bit and seeing where the boundaries are of this performance and, and getting a, a better read that way. Yeah. Well, you reminded me of something very interesting. Um, okay. <laughs> so, and, and I, I think the photograph analogy is really good for this. But okay, cool. Yeah, cool. I really like that analogy. I talk about anime because that's what I'm sort of kind of came from originally. And anime is like, and it's ADR, it's dubbing. They're like the lowest budget 
animation pretty much. And I'm not sure why dubbing is always so low budget. I think it's because they're like, well, we already have an original performance that we paid for. So now we're paying for another one. What I'm paying. So it's super low budget for anime. And they want you to nail it on the first take and maybe the second one. And if you can't do that, they like they'll find somebody else right and so you're in there you're doing it's like all this pressure because like okay i gotta give good performance do my technique correctly you know all the technical stuff and i gotta match the mouth movements and i gotta do it the first time right Right. and uh, you know you get in the zone once you've done it enough times you kind of get in the zone and it might take a little while but it does for me but then you get in the zone you do it but it's really tough and you just go 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 yeah then i did uh i did this kids animation called ella bella bingo it's really cool. I play one of the dads in there. I play okay. Johnny's dad, right? I don't remember what actually voice. I, I remember I kind of based him on Bill Lumberg, though, which was kind of fun. Uh, <laughs> just kind of like, you know, a little more natural sounding Bill Lumberg. So what happened is this guy, this director, was uh, basically done stuff for Disney. And he comes in and he's like, okay, let's, let's listen to what you're going to do. Like, okay. And he spent just 20 minutes with me tweaking the voice that he wanted. Hmm. Like 20 minutes, right? Yeah. And then... We did like 10 takes for every line and he'd oh. stop and he'd think about it and he'd give me some feedback and he'd think mm-hmm. about it. And, you know, and I'm like, this is so different. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. But I feel like we got a really good performance and, and that's, that's kind of the thing. And then of course, sort of in between the middle uh, of that is maybe video games where you traditionally do two takes at, for everyone. It's just kind of standard. You do two takes. You give the director two slightly different takes. Uh, this is something I teach in my voiceover class. I'm like, okay, they, there should be significantly different. You can tell the difference, but not wildly different, right? You're not going off in different directions with performance, but you give them two takes. And then usually what happens is they turn to the engineer and they go, keep one. Okay, keep two. Okay, and they'll tell the engineer which one to keep. They'll drop it into the keeper track and then you move on. Now, if the director doesn't like it, then he stops and says, no, we need uh, we need more of a more of a happy read or we need, you know, whatever you do. Yeah. Maybe you do one more. Okay. In that case. Yeah. yeah. So, but I think, you know, in original animation, it's a lot like that too, where you can do a few and take your time for that because you're not on these crazy dubbing budget constraints. Right. That's cool. <laughs> it's cool to hear that process. It's really great. Now that we're in process, let's talk about directing. We had a, in our interactions beforehand, we had this discussion about how, you know, for me, in all my acting experience, and I would like to be part of the directing, if not the director of the voice acting. But if I hired somebody like you, you would want to be part of the directing because you know your actors and, and that sort of thing. Obviously, when collaboration happens, there's these moments of clash and there's these moments of synergy. How do we avoid the moments of clash that, like you said, will make it take double the time yes. and get into those moments of synergy? If there were two, like if I were the director and I were having you direct the voice acting. Okay. Well, let me go back and just give you like, or the listeners more specifically, right? Okay, the, yes. An idea yeah. of what happens. Because if it was you and me, it would probably be very different than a standard, what would standard happen, right? Because we both okay. sort of like, I have producing animation training and you have voice acting and stuff, direct, you know, directing training. So we overlap a lot. But yeah. traditionally, that's not what happens. You know, I've given talks, uh, especially like CTN Expo. I've been there a couple of times now to tell animators about the process because a yes. lot of times <laughs> it's it's more of an afterthought. They're like, they're really good and they can direct because directing animation traditionally means you're responsible for the feel and the uh, the content and the color and the, you know, the timing of the animation itself. 
Right. Right. You know, and you're directing mm-hmm. the artists and everything like that. But a lot of times there's a different, a separate director for the voiceover. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? Now there's a few people who do both, but most of the time it's such a big job. Like you have to know a ton to direct an animation to, you know, organize all the, the art and the feel and the timing and all that stuff. The right? storyboards, you know, every yeah. department. Yeah. Like that's, like, that's a whole color. job. Like you really yeah. shouldn't have to know or be expected to know how to do the voiceover. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, you just bring someone else in. That's that's what's normal for that uh, in, a, in any kind of studio you know, with lots of big team and all that kind of thing. Right. OK. So that's a lot of the stuff to know. But a lot of times voiceover becomes like uh, sort of this. Oh, OK. Well, now that I'm done, you know, for more indie projects, I'll just go out on the Internet and grab a bunch of random actors and then we'll oh. have performances. And right. And so, yeah. <laughs> right? and so that's why I tell them not to do that, because like you're going to get a variety of all these different microphones. You're going to, since you haven't hired a company, like my company, like I'll have a contract with you and I have to deliver. But if you hire random people off the internet, they'll flake, they'll disappear. They'll give you bad performances. They'll have a demo that doesn't reflect their actual acting ability, you know, because they did, you know, hundred thousand takes and, you know, took the the one good one out of the hundred bad ones, you know, yeah, Uh, you can do that. You know, just like with photography, right? People take a million pictures for headshots and one makes them look amazing, but they don't really look like that. (laughs) (laughs) The same kind of thing. So if you don't know about what, you know, the stuff you could, you know, go out there and try to just hire random people on the internet and you don't know what you're going to get. You might get lucky, you know, but you don't know. And then who's directing it? Like, uh, a lot of people don't even direct it. They're just like, oh, here, here, voice actor, here's the script. Just give me some reads and give it back. But you need a director to have a vision, just like for the animation, yes. of how it feels. There's a tone, right? Yeah. Well, even in animation, so you'll have the main director and you'll also have the director over animation. Yes. Uh, character specific and then the director over effects specific and then the director over storyboards and you'll have a head of that's the head of story often yeah, if you have a and big studio yes you'll have <laughs> our director like over character design and our director over background design you'll have a bunch of different you'll have a technical director right well that technical director is actually a smaller level but you'd have a director over the technical team so this would be just like having a director over the voice actors right yeah i mean so yeah. they you know so the director and their job is to look at the script Mm-hmm. Right. Read the script, see whatever you got. Now, now for original animation, honestly, the voice actors, voice acting should come before you animate. <laughs> right. Yes, As you're animating to the voices yeah. and the so, feel too. you listen to that audio over and over as an animator. Yeah. 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 So it's what inspires the performance. So hopefully. Yeah. I mean, you know, some yeah. people actually try to do it afterwards, but you know, indie stuff, right. Um, yeah. You get in there, the director should read the script, see the concept art, and know the feel and the tone of the thing, right? So then they can mm-hmm. put the actors in. It's not my project, right? I'm I'm putting them into your world. Right, right? yeah. That you make. So it's so yeah. important to have a director that understands that they're not like going to be like, I'm just going to make this into whatever I want. You know, that's not no. that <laughs> thing, right? You, you know, you yeah. get the feel for the the show or whatever it is. And then you, you put the actors in it and that's going to affect casting too, right? If I've read the script and I understand things and that affects casting. So that gets in there. So we get we get a cast that has the feel for it. And then, you know, casting works every way. But if anyone's curious, this is how casting generally works, is for the lead roles, the client would so pretend it's you, right? You know, um, mm-hmm. and so what I would do is I would send you my top three for each of the lead roles. Okay. Right? So I'm filtering out. So you don't have to listen to everybody. I'm just going to give you the three best ones. And you pick. Less work for me. Sounds yes. great. <laughs> and then the minor roles... I just cast them, 
right? So, oh, okay. you know, yeah. So you're just, usually this is how they want it. Cause it could be a ton of minor, you know, like three line rolls or whatever. You don't want to hear the, the duck that has three lines or whatever, you know, as long as you trust me at some point. Right. And that's generally to be the duck who has three lines. Right. Yeah. You're just like, I'm going to go <laughs> be this guy. Yeah. So, you know, we send the top three for the main characters and I, I usually have the client identify who are the main characters, right? These, mm-hmm. these, and it's usually like five to eight. Okay. Right? You get the top three. You send me your, every once in a while. They're like, we don't like any of them. <laughs> All right. <laughs> That's a square one. Yeah. 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 So that happens. And then, you know, just, so then I end up casting all the minor roles and things like that. Then I've got that. And then you, you bring the actors in the studio. And then what happens a lot of the times or most of the time is if it's a student's working on a lot of projects or whatever, then they just let me go and I do it. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I get in there and I get the feel and I'll check if I have any questions about anything though, I check with the client, right? I would call you and be like, yeah, you know, I'm not sure what the feel is for this or why, why is this scene happening or, you know, whatever. And some things, it just, it happens every time you read the script, you look at things, but then when they read the lines out loud, you're like, Oh, I have a question, right? Even though you read the script, when they do it out loud, you're like, Oh, wait, does that make sense or whatever? You know, and you're trying yeah, to figure yeah. It always happens. So, you know, you mm-hmm, call yeah. the client or whatever. And so that's how I normally do it. A lot of times what will happen too is uh, the client will come on for the very beginning, right? We'll patch them into the studio so the actor can hear them in the headphones. We can hear them in the control booth. Then we'll do the first few lines together and the client will be like, okay, that's good. Or maybe they might have some, oh, I want him to sound a little older, you know, or something like that. Mm-hmm. And then, okay, yeah. good. And then we kind of lock it in. And then, then the client will be like, okay, see you. And that's, I like that. That's, that's good too, right? I don't mind that. But what happened this one time, so this actually, and this isn't a bad thing, right? I mean, it's like the client's paying for this. The client gets what they want, right? Right, right, yeah. But I think a lot, you know, a lot of directors, they, if they don't really trust the, the voice person, the, the voice director, or then they want to be there the whole time. Mm, yeah. And they'll be in, they'll be physically there in the room or, or they'll be patched in through Skype. Right. You know, and I've had this, I've sort of had the thing happen where you've had the client who comes on at the beginning and then, and then they just stay, Oh, I'm just going to hang out (laughs) and listen. And then what happens is you have two directors. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Yeah. And now after every line, not only your input, but then the other. So it has to clear two people. And so this makes it take twice as long. Yes. Right. I mean, there was mm-hmm. one anime that I worked on where the Japanese creator of the anime, amazing guy, came over and he's like, oh, I'm going to be in town while you're doing it. So I'm just going to be there. So the Japanese guy is there in the studio with the director. And I'm not directing, I'm producing on this one. Uh, but if he has a comment, then it has to be translated into English. So it's even longer. Right. So we'll do somebody will do a take. <sighs> And, you know, and then, oh, the Japanese uh, director is something, blah, 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 translate it, blah, 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 blah. oh, okay, you know, and so there's this long, long pauses between each take, you know, that take mm-hmm. a long time. And then we, you know, we have kind of a standard, I know how many lines we can do in an hour, mm-hmm. right? That's like a big thing, you know, and, and there's different people break it up different ways, but g- generally anime and video games, we go by lines or loops, they call them, right? Which is just mm-hmm. everybody's break in a dialogue. Right. And I've done a whole bunch of math. I have Excel spreadsheets because I'm a computer science guy originally. So I have these complicated calculations that tell me exactly how many, you know, hours it should take. I even did statistics on my different actors about exactly how many they do on average in an hour. 
you know, so I can make these calculations. I don't think anyone else does this. I don't know. <laughs> it, sounds, it sounds cool, but yeah, that, that kind of work that it's almost too much trouble for a lot of people. So, but it's very useful. Sounds. Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it's, but it's very good for budgeting because I can yeah. get really close to exactly how much time we're going to be in the studio. Uh, so that so the important thing is is that if somebody if I have double directing or I have the animation producer or director coming in and, and commenting on every single line, it pretty much doubles the time hmm. of that. So what I you know what I prefer is sort of that you know I mean if they really trust me, then letting me go and, and play and that's fine. I just do it right. But uh, I don't mind the let's connect at the beginning of the of the session with the actor. And make sure that the, the voice is what you want, right? And you listen for the first few lines, and they're like, "Okay, great, I'll let you guys go." I, I love, I love that part. I'm like, "Good, I know the client's satisfied, and now I can really get some work done." Okay. Right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, and I, and I'm, I'm not mad at them for wanting that or anything. It's just, it's just a relief to really like, okay, now we're gonna get some work done. We're gonna get this thing, this train, really gonna start rolling now. You know? Yeah, yeah. We can get in our zone. Yeah, exactly. Right. I mean, you just get going and like, yeah, yeah, you know. And so, yeah, yeah. It's, it, it, but you know, it's it's different with every client. You just got to work with them. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Do you ever have the experience where you get to listen to an animatic that has temp voices in it? And you mean like a scratch track? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, sure. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and how does that process go? Is it is it inspiring, or does it sometimes? Because I know with temp music that oftentimes directors will become married to that temp music. And it's very difficult for them to get outside of that. We had that discussion with the composers that I interviewed in the past. And I imagine that could possibly happen with voiceover as well. Uh, so you're just asking about the music, not a vocal track? No, a vocal track, yeah. So if you have the animatic, usually it's a bunch of storyboards, right? And you have some temp voices that they grabbed people around the studio and created this this thing. And now they're like, okay, you can watch that. And then that could inspire oh, the performances. Okay. okay, good. So hmm, I think my answer is going to be a little complicated. So, <laughs> That's okay. Yeah. We're wanting to go deep and complicated in this show. So Yes. So scratch track, right? I mean, that's generally for timing, right? I mean, you're going to know this probably better than me, right? You know, the scratch track is yeah. you just, you get some people to read so you can start animating uh, or get, or, or just get the timing of how long it's going to take. How long does it take for someone to say this sentence? <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. You know, it, well, most of the time scratch tracks are done like by, it's really weird, but like studios do this all the time. They just grab office workers. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hey, Bill, you done with that Excel? Come in here and read these lines, right? You know, and they, and they don't really help us any, uh, because uh-huh. They're usually bad, but they're very fun <laughs> to listen to. Yeah. It's so funny, you know, because you yeah. know this is Bill the Accountant, you know, <laughs> trying to be like Sapphire the Cat or something. And, you know, yeah, it's, yeah. It's amazingly hilarious. So it, it is, but we don't need it for anything. The only time I've, I, there's one project I worked on, it's very unusual kids movie i was a i played a wolf talking wolf obviously and um <laughs> they it's a, it was a, it was made in china but they meant it to be released in english so they had someone do a scratch track that they animated to <laughs> right so the scratch track was actually helpful for the dubbing because it has the timing of the sentence for it that they animated right. to oh, right okay. you know? Yeah. Whereas usually the scratch track is just for timing of like scene changes or from what I understand, right? Yeah, you know? yeah. It's just kind of you're time not, out the whole movie. 
yeah, you're not doing the yeah. mouth movements to the scratch track because then you've limited <laughs> your actors to dubbing, basically. No, right? no yeah. yeah. So, but this one, you know, was pretty lined up with what they were saying. So it, it was helpful in some sense to to hear that because it kind of helped. It's, it's almost like having a cheat for the timing, you know, so you could just say it at the same timing as the other actor. You could, I think for different people, it's going to be different, right? Some people that might be more helpful than others. Generally speaking, yeah, we wouldn't want to hear the scratch track, but I do love having uh, an M and E. Like if you, if you have M and E, it's really nice to hear that uh, when we're okay. recording. Right. You know, because that gives you a feel uh, for it. So if you do have an animatic with music and sound effects or anything like that, it, it really it feels like you're there. You know, so it's like it's like an actor being on set for a film when you've got all everything around you and everybody's dressed like dwarves and orcs or whatever. You know, you're like, I'm really there, you know. So I yeah, feel yeah. like that does that does help. And anything because like a lot of these stuff, like I'd say a good half of it. You don't see anything. You see words. Like we don't see even pictures or concept art of some of the characters we're playing. Right. And you just get a paragraph that describes who they are. And you've <laughs> got to imagine the character from that. And so it's nice to have anything else to really add to it. Yeah, that's awesome. It's it's cool too. There, were, As you were talking, there were stories that I've heard of, well, that are very in the forefront if you look. But you have um, Lou Romano in Ratatouille and in The Incredibles. That he read the, the scratch line and it was so good he ended up reading the actual the actual line. Rhino and Bolt was another one where Rhino uh, Mark Walton, I think is his name, he was the story artist. And so oh, yeah. he played the voice of Rhino and then he ended up being Rhino in the movie. So wow. Yeah. Yeah. But I think that's pretty rare because I've I've seen oh, yeah. some animatics where I'm like, oh yeah, I'm glad they re-recorded that voice because it wasn't <laughs> very good. <laughs> Yeah, it's sort of like oh, yeah. lightning striking kind of thing, kind of yeah. rare. Yeah, <laughs> and so what it seems like is lightning striking. So yeah, yeah, awesome. So what what kind of changes would you like to see in the industry that would make the industry a better place for voice actors, for animators, any, anyone working in it? Wow, that's a good question. You know, I've been I've been working with kind of the idea of you know everything is is very blocky in terms of like how the voice acting works. Like if you get cast for a role, there's like this, okay, well, you got this, there's like this two hour minimum block that we have to hire you for. Right. And there's these standard rates, no matter what, you know, we have to, and what that does is it sort of kind of creates this elite where uh, the same people are going to get the work over and over again. And the uh, other people, it's really hard for them to get in. Like, and especially for whatever reason, I think it's because of budgeting, really. Like, I don't understand why a studio will spend millions. This is this is literally an example, right? Uh, yeah. They will spend millions on an animation, and then they will balk at spending 50 grand for the voiceover. Right. And I'm like, what? You know? <laughs> like, and, and, so, and, and so that's part of the, the problem where we have to try to, like, squeeze these things into budgets where you know we end up with these really bizarre things like i have to try to cast people as multiple roles as often as possible to fit the these blocks to fill them up so we're not wasting time for these minimums mm -hmm. and that kind of thing uh, but i don't understand why they won't spend money and i'm watching a, a netflix show recently and uh, you know netflix is so hit or miss like some of their shows are just spot on you know, yeah. like uh, Blood of Zeus, really, I was like, this is great. 
you know, yeah. like uh, in terms of voiceover, right? And then, you know, some other shows, which I won't mention, uh, but uh, they're <laughs> like, uh, what? They, they got the show and it like, it's set in a fantasy world and half the people are British and half the people are American, like contemporary American. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> okay. And they'll be in the same scene. They'll just be like, oh, yeah, what do you think you're doing? Well, I'm doing, you know, it's just like, what? Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a huge contrast. And you're like, you know, this makes sense. And then you've got this mix of, of cartoony voices with more natural voices. And uh, I'm like, wow, you know, and I, but I think part of the problem is this they're not, they're not paying enough to get, and it wouldn't be much. Like if they just spent like 75,000 <laughs> instead of 50,000 or whatever, you know, just added 50% to the budget, they could give the directors and casters and, you know, we'd have more studio time and we'd have more time to take with the script and really do something good. And it's not mm -hmm. like we're asking for that. Now I do that stuff anyway. Like if you hired me and my company for to do a fantasy animation, right? I would make sure that all the accents worked in a, okay. in a way that yeah. made sense, right? Yeah. I would make sure the performances didn't go from contemporary to medieval and, you know, all those kind of things that, uh, that really just drive me nuts, you know? And um, break the spell. Yeah, exactly, right? I mean, you've got yeah. that whole verisimilitude. So I, I think that's a big thing where there's just not, there's not enough budget spent on these things. That, and so you end up with, uh, the really good animation and then the voiceover is not so great, even from like Netflix and things like that, because they've got this weird model where you don't spend on the voices. And I'm like, wow, why did you spend all this money? You know, if you want, you know, to make this look so good and then be like, we yeah. don't care about the voices or what? I'm like, why? You know, it's just so <laughs> frustrating. I don't understand it. So yeah, I guess that would be a thing. Yeah. But also I'm really trying to, I want to innovate and I, it's going to take me a while because I'm rebuilding the company here, you know, mm -hmm. from scratch and I've got to get some contracts and get some more cred and some, you know, stuff like that. I eventually want to redo how dubbing is done. Right. I want to re okay. I want to invent a new way to do dubbing awesome. because the way we're doing it is rough. <laughs> it's yeah, yeah. Really rough. And besides the budgeting, right. There's, there's gotta be a way to especially involve technology. Mm -hmm. in doing dubbing where we don't do it. Now, there's a software right now called VoiceQ. Have you heard of VoiceQ? I haven't, no. Okay, so VoiceQ, it's okay. You can it, you can plug in the, the start time and the end time for, for a line, right? Mm -hmm. You have to do it manually. You have to have either from the client, you have to have a list of the time codes, uh, or you have to figure it out and go in and watch the thing and write down all the time codes, which that takes a lot of time. That could be automated, right? Mm -hmm. But anyway, but voice cue, you put in the start of the line and the end of the line. And what it does is it shows the actor during the clip, the words will go across the bottom of the screen. And there's a dot in the middle that shows you when to say each word. So, cause there's, there's so many different kinds of dubbing. You can get into this, but yeah, the yeah. basic dubbing style that is sort of the low end is okay. The, the line, the sound starts when their mouth opens. And then at the end of the line, when it closes, you finish. Okay. That's the basic dubbing, right? And then there's things yeah. like, what if they pause in the middle, right? And some dubs don't care. They just blah, 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 keep going. And even though the actor's mouth is closed for a second, you know. But yeah. then, you know, the next level, usually anime is in that next, that second level where you get the pauses also, right? Okay. And then there's like another level where you try to match the mouth shapes, uh, which is what we did for Beta and Cora. And it was yeah. in Spanish, right? So all these sentences ended with O. Oh, right. <laughs> so I had to adapt. There's something called adaptation that happens in dubbing, right? We can talk more about that, but, but you get the, the translation 
And then there's another step, which I do is adaptation, where you have to adapt that line because, you know, Spanish, there's a lot more syllables than English yeah. in general sentences, right? I had to write the English to be longer because if you said it in English, they'd be done talking and the mouth would still be moving for yep. you know, yep. twice as long, right? Yeah, so that's yeah. adaptation. And then in the adaptation, I had to add all these O words at the end of sentences, yeah. Right? So they had to end with two and you and stuff like all the time because the, yeah. the little ant, it's so obvious in the, in the, in the stop motion that their mouth was like a big O. Right. Yeah. And so we could have just in my mind practicing saying man. Yeah. Man. Right. <laughs> just making the O sound. Yeah. I mean, you have to, so like you can't end it with like, hey, yeah, man. if they have an O, you know, mouth, yeah. it just doesn't uh. look right. You know? Um, so I had to do, that's like another layer. So there's all these different layers of dubbing. But some of this can be automated. Now, voice cues, the beginning of it, but I feel like we can use AI to determine like the start and stop times, dump them in, and then uh, also use it to insert pauses and stuff like that. You know, I think there's a lot more we could do to make dubbing. It's a great skill. Some actors that they can, if they can do this, you know, which is really hard. And like I said, I can do it. It's really difficult, and uh, you know, you're doing like yeah. five things at once to match the lip flaps and the, the get the performance and the, you know everything. It sounds and listen to what the director just said, you know, like, oh, what yeah. did they just say? But uh, so I, I I would like to also find, you know, if I find some time and some money to throw at maybe some developers mm -hmm. uh, to create a better version of like voice cue or whatever, where it, it also will uh, kind of adapt itself and save you time putting in the information and stuff like that, too. Yeah. You might even want to find some developers who have an entrepreneurial savvier background, too. We can talk about that after. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so we actually gone over time a bit. And, oh, I thought it was um, an hour. I'm sorry. No, it's 45 minutes, but that's okay. Uh, okay. Uh, I still want to ask the get wiser moment. Usually this question is phrased to producers about how do I get the highest clarity of truth into a story? For you specifically, I would like to ask as a director, how do we get the highest clarity of truth into a vocal performance? Mm. Wow. Well, I think... It has to start with, you know, a vision mm -hmm. of that, like I talked about earlier, that tone where you, you feel this is the tone of the show. You're watching a show and you're like, oh, what if this happens? You're like, no, it's not that kind of show, right? You know, like yeah. there's things that don't, don't fa fall in within that show. And uh, so to have this, this final vision, this performance is everyone has to be in the world. Okay. Right. In terms of their accents and their delivery, and their feel. They all have to be not just in the genre, which is step one, right? That even mm -hmm. those Netflix shows didn't do. But, uh, <laughs> and then step two, in the world. Everyone's got to be in the world. And you need a director who can see that. Yeah. And the director sees that and keeps everybody in the world. And, and you can just, you feel it when they yeah. step out. And you're like, oh, oh no, that's, we got to go this way. Or we got to go that oh, way. Cool. And, you, and you direct them back and you keep them in the world. And then, when you're done, you have this performance. They're talking to each other, even though you recorded them at different times, right? It feels yeah. like they're in the room together. Yeah. Not yeah, I actually was going, you were taking me back to my theater days when we would do ensemble, like, yeah. trust exercises and different things to make sure we had that synergy as an ensemble. Yeah, that's awesome. But that's up to the director, it sounds like, the director's vision. Yeah. And, and yeah, being very think. sensitive to that, that, don't break the spell of we're in this world. Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. uh, and if we step out, then we can bring ourselves back in somehow. Yeah, that's that's cool. I love yeah. your perspective on that. That's great. Well, good. Well, thanks.
Well, awesome. So let's uh, let's wrap up here. Where can people find you? I, I have your website down in the notes of the show. Yes. The marvelousspiralstudios.com, I believe is what it is. That's it, yeah. And is there any other place you'd like people to follow you? We have a, yeah, so the contact form is on the Marvelous Spiral Studios website. And I do, you know, I like, I'm not huge into social media, but uh, I do have a Twitter. So you can, you can find me on Twitter. If you put Steven Weeson, it should come up. And my, the Twitter handle is Steve Racer come because I'm a big speed racer fan. So my nickname is Steve Racer. Uh, You can, you can find me there. Twitter is mostly for our post voiceover stuff and make weird jokes, but that, you know, that's pretty much it. (laughs) Weird short (laughs) jokes. Another thing, just so people know what's coming up in June, we're going to have an interview with Daniel Harmon. He is the CEO or the chief creative officer at Angel Studios. They're also the Harmon Brothers, if you know that brand. They created the Poopery commercial, the Squatty Potty, the Purple Mattress. They're just amazing marketers and storytellers. And now they have shows like The Chosen and Tuttle Twins, which is the biggest crowdfunded animation project of all time now. $2 million, I think they're at. So I'm really excited to interview him next month. And then July is going to be a little bit different where I'm actually going to talk about the seven pitches that I've been planning to release here this year. So that'll be exciting. We'll talk about the feedback process and different things I learned about development during the course of all of the pitches that I have developed so far. So thank you for tuning in. And until next time, I hope that we all get a little wiser. You have been watching the Directing Animation Livecast with Scott Weiser. Audio version edited by Kiera Horowitz. Copyright Scott Weiser, LLC 2020.